Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. It's Dr. Janice Hooker-Fortman with Relationship Matters. Now, you know, at the beginning of every episode, I get on my soapbox. It's the same soapbox. And what is this soapbox? It concerns COVID-19 and the vaccine. Have you had your vaccine? Now, I know that there are a lot of you, or a few of you anyway, out in my audience who have not taken that shot. But you must take the vaccine. The only way we're going to get rid of COVID-19 is if we're all vaccinated. Now, I've had both of mine. And since I am a senior citizen, I am waiting for my booster. And why did I get it? You know what? Number one, I don't want to get COVID-19, but I don't want to give it to anyone else. I don't want to give it to anyone's child. I don't want to give it to anyone in my family. And so when you think about whether or not you want to get it, Think about the fact that you could be a carrier, you could get it and don't have any symptoms and give it to someone. And you give it to someone and they may be extremely, extremely ill. But if you notice when they have people on TV and they have, or, or social media, media or wherever, and they have caught it and they were unvaccinated, what is it they say? Oh, I wish I had gotten it. Everyone really should get it. So I'm telling you, get the vaccine. Forget all of these, whatever things that you hear about it, how uh, they're implanting um, this in you and, and they can track you. Well, guess what? They track you anyway. If you have a cell phone, they know exactly where you are. You got to remember, there's a satellite up in that sky and it could zoom in on any, on you, anytime, anywhere, any place, anyhow. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to get off my soapbox, but that's my soapbox. My soapbox. Get the shot. Now, let's go on with the episode tonight. I am really, really excited about my guest. Let me tell you about him. He was homegrown in Chicago in Altgill Gardens housing project. One of 12 children born to Mrs. Geraldine Studley. His name is Judge Michael W. Studley. He is the honorable retired judge. So let me tell you all about him. All righty. Now, he was educated at Carver Elementary, upper grades, and high school during his early academic years. He matriculated from Northern Illinois University in DeKalb, Illinois, and in three years, he got his B.S. in business administration. And later, he got his Juris Doctorate degree from the John Marshall Law School of Chicago. Now, he has always been an advocate for the voiceless. His trial and his legal experiences include administrative law, criminal defense, family law, personal injury, municipal and school board law, real estate transactions and development, probate, taxation, and juvenile law. He's heavy. <laughs> for over 22 years, he served as a judge for the Circuit Court of Cook County. And for 18 years, he served in juvenile court. Now, as the presiding judge of the juvenile court in the 6th Municipal District, he worked, and that's in Markham, Illinois. He worked to meet the needs of offenders 
victims, and all residents so that our communities would be enhanced rather than torn apart by the crimes of our youth. And, you know, we really, really, really need that today. Now, Judge Stutley stands by very basic principles that has worked. This is a quote. If offenders realize, realize there is a victim that has been impacted by their actions, it is my hope that the offender will take accountability for their actions and attempt to right their wrong. If you're willing to make amends for what you've done, we have the tools to assist you, says Judge Stutley. He has, a, he has put a lot of different programs in place and his commitment to his profession and community has been recognized and honored with over 350 awards and honors for his volunteerism and community service. Now, presently, he serves on the board of numerous civic and professional organizations, including many not-for-profit youth organizations. He's a father and a grandfather who has been residing in South Suburbia for over 25 years. And when I say Augdale Gardens, I'm going to say this, the AG. And we are AG for life because I grew up in Augdale Gardens. Now, let's just get a little bit more information about Judge Stutley. Honorable Judge Attorney, I got to put all, 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 <laughs> Michael W. Stutley, how are you? I am blessed by the best. Dr. All Coleman. right. All righty now. It's, it's, it's so wonderful to have you on my show. It's, it's, it's an honor. Well, thank you for inviting me. Oh, well, you know, I had to invite you because you are the epitome of what men, young men, older men can can transition to in life. Uh, and you know what? We're going to talk about you and your life. And we're going to talk about, what I want to talk about is um, your relationships from the time you were a little kid all the way up to now. And you're also going to talk about your book, which I have right here. I see, I see. <laughs> and I read it from cover to cover. And wait a minute, people. Look how, look how thick this book is. <laughs> <laughs> you are a very prolific writer. Well, but I want to start with something that really made me want to have you as a guest on Relationship Matters. And this is an excerpt from the beginning of your book. And I'm just going to read it just a, just a little bit of it, just a, a, a little short paragraph. And it's about a young man that 
came to you that was in your courtroom uh, by the name of Snooky. <laughs> and it says here, after they left the chamber, the judge reread the letter, which I want you to tell us about the letter and thought about the conversation with Snooky. As the judge sits back in his chair, he begins to think that he has just looked through the mirror of his life. And I just thought that was so profound. So out and, and that's in the beginning of the book. So I this is what we want to talk about. We want to talk about your life. All righty. Yes. So first of all, who was Snooky? Well, Snooky was a a young black, a black young, young young man who came before me, and DCFS had brought him in because his mother, his grandmother, had disciplined him, corporate punishment, and they was looking to take him from his grandmother. So when he came to the chambers his DCFS caseworker asked me would I take the time to talk to him. He had wrote a letter and saying that he never, he don't believe no, no judges come from Argyll Gardens. Uh, that ain't true. And we talked and what impressed me about Snooky was he was A's and B's in his classes, but he stayed in trouble all of the time. And grandmother just went upside that head. So DCFS is in my court, and they're going to take it from the grandmother. And I explained to them on the record, he's not leaving his grandmother's house, number one. Number two, Grandmother, you got my permission. If he get out of hand, you get that butt. DCFS said, you can't say that. I said, yes, I can. As long as he's under my jurisdiction, he's going to be with his grandmother. You know, it's just no way she can raise him and it cannot discipline him. When I commit a kid, for instance, to the Department of Corrections, I have to make a finding that the parents has failed to protect, educate, and discipline this minor. Now, I have to make that finding on the record, but you've already handcuffed the hands of many parents well, they can't discipline the kids. It didn't work in my courtroom. But he, he reminded me so much of myself because like Snooky, I was all A's and B's or E's and G's when we came up, but I stayed in trouble. <clears throat> I was in trouble from eight o'clock in the morning until 12 o'clock at night. No. <laughs> until certain things happen in my life and it just turn it around. Okay. All right. So that's when you talk about uh, the mirror. Now, let's start from the very, very beginning. Okay. Okay. So now, uh, were you born in, you were born in, in Chicago? Yes. I was born in Chicago on the south side, 3426 South Parkway. Oh, so South Parkway, is that King Drive now? That's King Drive now. Before it was South Park, it was Grand Boulevard, then it went to South Park, and then the King Drive. Okay. And that's where I was initially born. Okay. And so um, you have brothers and sisters? and Yes. I'm one of 12. My mother had Let me say that. Yeah. nine boys and three girls. And so where were you in, in that? I was number eight. Okay, okay. And and uh, 
So now, how long did you all live? Because I know we're going to get into Argyle Garden. So how long oh, yeah. did you live uh, in, on 34th Street before you all moved into the gardens? 34th Street for about four years of my life. Okay. And then we moved up to, to 55th uh, in Kimbar. Mm -hmm. And before the summer was over, we in, uh, I think it was June of 56, we moved to Argyll. Okay. And so you were how old then? I was five. Okay, so you started in kindergarten. No, I started kindergarten at Ray School. When I came to the gardens, I was going into first grade. So is that when you started uh, being uh, having being in trouble all the time in first grade? No, I was in trouble in kindergarten. <laughs> but they let me out for recess. I was gone. <laughs> Where did you go? I told them I didn't need them come to school. My big brothers and sisters can teach me all the things I need to know. <laughs> Until one day I left race school and my mother met me as I was walking down 55th Street window shopping. At, wait a minute, at five years old? Yeah. Okay. She got me back to that school, and you know what she did, so I did not leave school again. <laughs> I don't think I did school after, uh, a day after that, throughout high school. Okay, so now, now that they got you in school, I want to talk about your relationships. Yes, um, now, um, so did you start, like, hanging, hanging around with different boys? I, you know, and uh, so how how was your school like? I'm, you know, I'm trying to get to really. I want to get all the way to where you are now, and actually, what shaped your life? Yeah. Well, yeah. it was so much, and a lot of the friends. Uh, probably the first friend friend that I met in AG was Dwight Tolliver. Okay, and me and Dwight was very close. Uh, our relationship lasted up until his. The, Deaf, actually, but the uh, White Tolliver, Donnie Maxey, Robert Hornsby, Robert Harris, Henry Clay, Benny Gaines, Bobo Thomas. I mean, it's so many that, that you know that I've had a relationship with, and those relationships went on for years and years. Um, a lot of them have relocated to different parts of the country, and we still get together when they come in town. Uh, so that's it. I mean, I don't know of another community that share the type of relationship that we share with each other in AG. Well, were they good influences on your life or... What? It was positive. I mean, some was good, some was bad. Okay. Some was members of the 1130D like I was. What's 1130D? 1130D was a branch of the disciples. Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, for, for those who are out there who are not from the Chicago area, the disciples was a notorious gang. But but they was like family. Okay. One of the things that I respected David Boxdale, who was the head of the disciples, uh, I could be part of the family, but he wouldn't let me get involved with anything. When they was off to do something, he said, Stella, you go home. Oh, okay. You're not, you're not coming with us, you go home. Okay. You know, so he was a positive influence. I was able to walk 63rd Street being from our guild because of David Boxdale. Okay. So 63rd Street was what? A, a game banger, game no, banging territory. Well, that's where I had to walk in order to get to my girlfriend's house, who was from our guild. Uh, she lived on 64th and Carpenter. Okay. So I had to get 
traveling grace from the Dan Ryan to her house and back. You know, okay. David provided that. Oh, okay. Now that's one I, I don't remember seeing here see reading that uh in your book that you were it's in there. Is it in there? Okay. Uh, eleven thirty D's where I talk about Bobo and Newton and Floyd Evans and uh William Smith, uh Butchie. No, it's in there. Okay, all, all of those guys. Okay, so Harry. So, so, uh, so now you were in high school when you were part of the disciples. So that game, or was that in elementary school? Elementary school, going into high school. Oh See, I had probably two sets of influence. I had the guys who was part of games. Then I had the the scholars. The L. C. Lawrence, the Donnie Maxies, the Robert Hornsby's, who we competed against academically, you know, uh -huh. that was a positive influence. Okay. Uh, so I was a little bit involved with both both worlds, I guess you could say. Okay. So you were well rounded. Very much so. Very <laughs> much so. <laughs> Okay, and so now you said, you know, you were getting in trouble all of your life. So now when you were in elementary, well, you told me what you did in kindergarten and so through elementary school. So what about in high school? In high school, you probably read it in the book. I was in the woodshop class. Okay. And standing on top of the desk, the tables flying in the air and who walks through the door but coach Larry Hawkins. So were you, you were on the team. I was the manager of the, the team. Of the ba basketball team. Right. So you were standing on a desk flying through the air. Yeah. Why? I Dr. Fortman, I can't tell you why. I just was getting, you know, just something to do. <laughs> and I never would expect Coach Hawkins to be, because this is on the second floor on the elementary side of the building. And normally Hawkins did not leave the gym. Okay. But lo and behold, he walks in right and I'm in the midst of my, my feet. And so what happened? Did he kick you off the off the team? He well, he says, "Sonny, what are you doing?" And I couldn't say anything. He said, "Well, when you come to practice this afternoon, we need to discuss that." So I came to practice and figured he must have forgot because he ain't said nothing. And then, right before practice was over, he says, "Sonny, I'm." I'm confused. I thought I stated to you that we needed to have a discussion. So he uh, ordered me out of the gym. And that was the first time. And he led me back. And he told me, Sonny, let me explain something to you. This time, you're on your mother's time. The next time I'm going to wipe my hands of you. And was there a next time? I got in trouble again. And this time he told all the ball players, stay away from that Mike Stutley. You know how Larry felt. He didn't want you running around the building with females hanging on you and everything. And I'm at a girl's locker, got her. I guess you'll say covered in the locker and who walks up? So now, uh, so was he a major influence on, on your life? He was, he was the bridge that brought me over because the things that he was trying to teach me that I resisted I learned later on in life it wasn't important at that point. 
The girls are going to be there. It ain't no hurry. You need to concentrate on certain other things right now. But I, I, I couldn't see it then. And I said to myself, right when I was getting ready to go off to college, he wanted to meet with me. And he said, Stuttley, I hear you're going to Northern Illinois University. I said, that's right. He said, well, you got to understand, son, if you go up there and do a good job, I can get 10, 20 more kids in that school. And I'm saying to myself, you asking me to do something? That's the way you kicked me out? He said, but if you go up there and act a fool, which I know you can, I'm going to snatch your butt out of there. Whoa. I could not believe it. How are you going to snatch me out and you didn't put me in there? <laughs> but I learned from those experiences that if I ever get a chance to get back in his good graces, I will know better. Okay. And later on in life, I did. And so, okay, so we've gone from you as a, a, a bad boy, uh, so to speak, <laughs> a, a troublemaker. Yes. <laughs> okay, through elementary school, through high school. So now when you got to college, is that when you decided you would, I, you know, so is Larry Hawkins, is he the one, like you said, it, it, it was a change. So he's the one that really put you on the right track, so to speak. Pretty much it wasn't him, but it was his influence. Okay. Show you, for instance, when I got to Northern, I went in to see the financial aid director to thank him for, for um, my financial aid. And Dr. Bill Herman said to me, you're Michael Stuckley, you're from Carver. He said, you one of Larry Hawkins boys, aren't you? Of course, I'm not going to say no. He said, do you have enough money for college? And I said, yeah, I have all of that need. And he said, no, you never have enough money. You one of Hawkins boys. I got another scholarship for you. So just the influence that Larry Hawkins had. And right then and there, Bill Herman gave me the Northern Illinois Gas Scholarship, which was a guaranteed scholarship for four years. Uh, and at that time, it paid $1,000 a year, which was substantial uh, at a state school. Okay. But it was only because of Larry Hawkins, even though I wasn't his boy at the time, uh -huh. because I claimed to be his boy, I got that scholarship. Oh, okay. All right. And, you know, it's so important for uh, young men to have someone to turn their life around. Yeah. Because when you think about it, Mike, um, you could have gone a totally different way. You know what I mean? Absolutely. When think, yeah. When you think about and, and and that's what a lot of young young men need today. Um, and to, to know that... Even though I did all those things, that's why the book has the title that it has. Because throughout my life, God has ordered my steps. Okay. You know, now I resisted, but you come right back to it, you know, and I had to realize that. And once I realized that, I accept the fact that I don't want to do anything in life unless God has ordered it. Okay. And, and that has been the key to my success, I believe. So what made you decide to go into law? I wasn't interested in law. Okay. Uh, matter of fact, I was, when I left Northern, my basketball coach there, introduced me to a friend of his who was the president of Hearst Jones Classrooms. And he was looking for a black salesman for the Chicagoland area. So I was selling high school classrooms. 
I started with Herff Jones. And after a year, I went with Jostens gave me a franchise. And then about four, four or five years into the franchise, my play brother came to me and said, I'm getting ready to go to law school. Come go with me. But that's how I went to law school. After one semester, he quit, and I just refused to quit something that I started. Okay. And that's how. And even after I came out of law school, I didn't practice law. I went to work at IBM as an engineer. I wasn't interested in law. Okay. Didn't think I would like it. And uh, I learned that corporate America wasn't for me. I left IBM and went to Olive Harvey Junior College as the programmer analyst and even administrator. And somebody said, well, you don't have to be at work until two o'clock in the afternoon. Why don't you just practice? Why don't you just try law? Dr. Fordman, I tried it and just fell in love. It was, it was my niche. Okay. It was my niche. Okay. So, so if, if you can say this, so was that the event that steered you into wanting to go into the criminal justice system because you, he said, try it? No, I, I wasn't interested in the criminal justice system. Okay. You know, uh, I was more interested in, in real estate law. Okay. Business law probate law, things of that sort. I was had no interest in the criminal justice system. That's a whole different subject, <laughs> believe me. Okay, so we I gotta take a, a quick break. And when we come back, I wanna talk about uh, you and the criminal justice system and why you chose the juvenile uh, part of the system. So have some time because it's a story. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let me hurry up. Okay, we'll be right back. Okay.
are back. Now, if you would like to advertise on the show with eye-catching videos and increase your visibility, you can contact us at relationshipmatterstv at gmail.com. That's relationshipmatterstv at gmail.com. Let's bring back attorney Michael W. Studley. All right, Mike. So tell us how you got into the criminal justice system. Juvenile court. Juvenile court. I had been on the bench for about five years at the time. I was supervising judge of landlord tenant court downtown. Had a big corner office on the 14th floor overlooking Lake Michigan. And I've, everything was going well. And then I got a call from the chief judge. Uh, my clerk came in and said, Judge Comerford want to see you. And I said, oh, Lord, what have I done now? So when I got upstairs to the 26th floor where the chief judge is, he said, have a seat. And you know how judges sit high? Where his bench was even higher. And he came around and sat next to me and said, I need a favor. And I said, sure, chief, whatever. You know, what is it? He said, I need you to go to juvenile court. And I said, oh, Lord, please. Send me to marriage court, send me to night bond court, send me to traffic court, any place, but please don't ask me to go to juvenile court. He said, I need you. I really need you. And if you go there for one year, I'll give you any position in the circuit court that you want. I had never been in juvenile court, had never been in the building, had no intentions of being in the building. And I had always said, if they sent me to juvenile court, I quit. So I went, he said, well, think about it. This was on a, a Thursday. And he said, think about it overnight and let me know. I went back to my chambers, and before I was getting ready to leave, my clerk came in with Friday morning's Tribune, Judge Studley goes to juvenile court. I was so upset that I decided to take my vacation. I packed everything, and I was going to resign. Oh. Once my vacation was up, went to, out to Las Vegas, having a good time. And then I got a call from a young lady. She wanted to co congratulate me on going to juvenile court. And she knew I didn't think that was very funny. You know? And she said, well, let me say something to you. You have to be careful when you ask the Lord to order your steps. Okay. And once you ask him to order your steps, you have to be obedient. She said, I know you don't want to go to juvenile court, but that's where God wants you to be. I thought about it and I said, well, I'll give it a try. I only got to be there one year and, and I can be in the law division. I went and after being there less than a month, I realized that's where I should have been all the time. And as a result, I was there for 18 years. They came back to me after that one year and said, where you wanna go now? I said, I wanna stay right here in juvenile court. And the rest is history. So why did you want to stay in juvenile court? Because I saw the influence 
Juvenile court, to a large extent, consists of young black males who don't have any image of what it takes to be a man. And to be able to turn so many young black lives around was a rewarding thing. I mean, there was, it wasn't a week that went by, Dr. Foreman, where I wanted to transfer out of juvenile court. I couldn't take it no more. And then lo and behold, I may be at the movie theater or something, and some kid would walk up to me and say, you don't remember me, do you? I said, nope. And then he would say like, something like, you saved my life. Mm. But for you, I don't know where I would be now. And this every week, kids coming back to the office saying, I want you to meet my family. I got my own business now. And I just want to thank you for help saving me. That kept me in juvenile court for 18 years. Now, now, when you say, you know, that, that they say that you saved them, you know, what did you do? You did not sentence them or so I was what, a, what did you do? I, I was a disciplinarian. Okay. Kids in my courtroom had a curfew. Kids in my courtroom had to go to school. It was non-negotiable. If you didn't go to school or you had been kicked out, then you got to come to my school. I had a school at the courthouse called Second Chance. Oh. So they had to come there. Young men could not wear earrings. They had to have on a shirt and tie. They would not wear their pants below the waistline. And if you and you got the copy of my rules the first day you was in my court. If you was 13, you had to be in the house by 7 o'clock. If you was 14, you had to be in the house by 7.30. If you was 15, you had to be in the house by 8 o'clock. 16, 17, 18, and 19, you had to be in the house by 9 o'clock. Violate my rules, I gave you what we call a reality check. I lock you up for seven days. Woo! <laughs> so it they learned that I meant what I said. And we, we was about trying to save young men, primarily, and young females, because there were some females we had to turn around. The girls in my court could only have two earrings to an ear. That's the maximum. They had their curfew, and young ladies did not wear pants in my courtroom. They had to have on a dress or a skirt and blouse, you know. Wow. They had to be groomed. I had a young man come to my court, and I told him, uh, you get out. Don't come back here until you get your hair cut. He bawled and was upset. His mother said, you, you can make my son cut his hair if he don't want to. I said, she said, well, what gives you the right to make him cut his hair? I said, he don't have to cut it. But what I do have the right to do is send him to the penitentiary. He came back with his hair cut, smiling and everything. I said, what are you smiling about? He said, I look good. <laughs> but had I not insisted that he groom himself, he never would have realized it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That you know that that that's really something. And now do you think that's happening in, in the courtrooms today? No, I, I get calls it every day just about from either a probation officer or a police in the south suburbs or the chief of police saying, Why don't you come back? You know, not coming back. And the, the programs that we put in place, I don't want credit for. The judge who took my place, I just wanted her to implement them because okay. they worked. Okay. They worked. But okay. as, of course, as the presiding judge there now, she has the right to make those choices. 
Okay. You know, so they don't have to wear shirt and tie anymore. You know, the girls can wear these, whatever, whatever. Oh, you know, okay. uh, but wow. it was a good run. You know. Okay. I had state's attorneys who understood what I was doing. Uh -huh. And they wasn't concerned with just sending a kid to the penitentiary. Yeah. I had public defenders who was co concerned about what I was doing. And they worked with me. Now, they may have a kid there that they know if they go to trial, they're going to win the case. Okay. The question is, are you helping this kid? Okay. So they worked with me. And we had a an organization that ran like a well or machine. Wow. About saving kids. I got kids that was in my court who are doctors now. Uh, I have a kid I'm in the process of closing on a, a building I'm buying. The loan officer was a former kid of mine. Really? Yeah. You know. My goodness. And this kid used to be the finance director of Lexus Motors. Really? Yeah. Oh you know, so yeah. I've yeah. got kids who have done all type of things. Just and like one kid who's a doctor now. He came to me for aggravated battery with a fire. No, no, it was unlawful use of a weapon. Had a gun. Long story short, he had this gun because he had been robbed twice and he was working two jobs. So when he walked in the courtroom, I had to get his attention because he had his pants down. He had a jerry curl. And I'm saying, it's just like a, this is a little game member. But when it came time for me to sentence him, you know, victims can come in a court and make statements. Mm -hmm. My courtroom was packed. This kid had been from grade school to high school, almost perfect attendance. Double A honor roll. But the way he looked I can imagine I prejudged him and say he's a thug. So I imagine what a white judge would do. Okay. And who's in the courtroom? His grade school teachers, his grade school principals, his high school teachers, his high school principal. Tell him what a good kid this is. So when it came time to sentence him, I said, I'm not going to sentence you right now. I want you to go home change your appearance and come back tomorrow and I'll finish the sentence. He went home, cut the jerry curl and everything out of his hair, came back with a three-piece suit, looking like a Wall Street attorney. Oh, okay. Wow. And he said to me, I appreciate that because no one ever told me that I looked like a thug. Okay. You know, today he's a doctor. That's wonderful. Now, I got a question that came in from another platform. What is the worst case that has come before you in court? Oh, there's so many. Uh, probably a young girl was trying to get two young, young white girls was trying to get two young black guys to murder her parents. Ooh, okay. The police arrested them, but not her. And they was ready to send these boys down the tube. And the boys came in and admitted to the police what she was trying to do. She had gave them the combination to the uh, garage door opener and everything. That was one. Then I had a kid who was going to kill everybody in his family. He put poison in the milk. Oh, my goodness. 
And the only reason they found out was because his little sister was getting ready to drink something. He stopped her. He didn't want her to die. He just wanted mama, daddy, and all the other, everybody else to die. So in cases like that, Mike, do you, what do you do? Like with this young man, as far as the, the milk is concerned, uh, I know you don't send them to prison, but do they go for like psychological help? Yeah, or they help? are sent to a residential facility. Okay. In his case, it was a, a psychiatric hospital. Okay. Devereaux in Texas. Okay. You know, but the, a lot of the young black men who was discipline problems, I had a place out in Arizona called the Arizona Boys Ranch, and I sent them there. Okay. And to, to see some of them young men turn their life around, you know, I mean, they won the state championship in football out there. And uh, when the foot, when the Super Bowl was in Arizona during that time, uh, about 10 of my young men performed with Diana Ross at halftime. Oh, really? Yeah. So, so they got some good experiences in there. Okay. And okay. one kid, after his time was up, stayed out there. Okay. He didn't want to so come back here. So let me ask you this, uh, this, this last question uh, be, before we, we go. What advice would you give to a young man um, that is thinking about going into law? Well, I guess the first thing I would tell him to work hard on English and writing. That's the most important part of law. Okay. Not how you speak, because the judge ain't listening to that. Okay. He's reading your brief. Okay. And what you have in there. And that's important. The best major for a law grad would be either English, accounting, or business. All right. Well, we only got a couple of minutes, and we want to. I just want to talk about again your book, <laughs> "Order My Steps. Steps," and it's uh, and where can they can get your book? We have to put it on the screen because it really talks about your life, your journey, and we just touched on just a you know just just a few things. A small. But, portion a, 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 a small portion uh, of it but it's all about your life your journey and how god ordered your steps yes and if they want to get your book it's on the lower third is lulu.com yes or they can call your office at 708-462-2900 that's lulu.com or 708-462-2900. And we had a question to come in and we only got, what, two minutes. It says, do records ever disappear? I know someone who was a product of abuse and her abuser lied and said she put a gun on him. It was not true, but now she has a record. Will it go away? Just give me a yes or a no. Is that all I can do? Because that's something I need to tell you. Quickly. Well, it depends on the judge. When kids was in my court and I put them on probation or whatever it was, if they find if if they finished their probation satisfactory, I gave them from the beginning what we call a motion to vacate. Okay. And if they successfully completed the probation. I would vacate the finding and dismiss the case like it never happened. Oh, okay. That's one time. So it can be expunged. A juvenile conviction is not, a juvenile finding is not a conviction, the U.S. Supreme Court says. So it's not something that should follow them. Okay. All righty. Okay, Sandy, I hope that answered your question. Well, Michael W. Studley 
honorable, the honorable <laughs> Michael W. Stutley. I really want to thank you for uh, coming on the show this evening. You've given us a lot to really think about. And I just want to, and I know my audience wants to commend you. Well, thank you. On the role that, that you have played in so many young men's lives. And uh, uh, and I know, like you said, there are so many that who are grateful. Yes. Yes, so many who you are grateful. And uh, I know you're retired. And uh, I know you're not going to go back because we were just talking about you traveling all over and you going. Home. And I worked, you know, I haven't worked this hard in 25 years. <laughs> and you have a, a law group. They yes. can contact you at that number, 708-462-2900 and get in contact with the Studley Law Group. Yes. And um, here's someone that says, thank you, Judge Studley. And because uh, you have a group and you, you your group practices all kinds of law. That's so right. that, Yes. So if you need a good attorney, contact 708-462-2900. Thank you so much, Judge Stutley. And thank you, Dr. Fordman, for having me. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Now, everyone, don't go anywhere. This has been amazing. Um, I really wanted him to come on because just to see what a, a, a journey, his journey, but even just to see how young men can start out one way and through their relationships and through their journey, they can, they can transcend, I'll say transcend, into a, another life a fulfilled life and a life that fulfills other people. But we are out of time and I want to thank all of you who tuned in uh, this evening and I want you to remember relationships matter and there are all kinds of relationship matters. And so we will see you again. I'm on a different computer. I keep telling everybody I'm on a different computer. <laughs> I got to get my computer fixed. But we will see you again next week on Relationship Matters. Everyone have a beautiful, blessed morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are in the world, and get your vaccine. Bye-bye. <laughs>